want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Galatians. And we're in Galatians chapter 2 this morning. Galatians chapter 2. And we're going to begin in verse 11. If you're in the Blue Pew Bible, you'll find it. I think it's on page 972 or thereabouts. Page 972. So again, Galatians 2.11. You know, I think if you were to do any sort of a, a study of church history, you would quickly come to the conclusion that the church is constantly in need of a, a call, a call to return to the gospel. You know, that's, that's essentially what the Reformers meant when they said that the church needs to always be reforming. They weren't talking about uh, something brand new, a, a progressive movement within the church. They were talking about coming back. Uh, and what we need to come back to at its heart is the gospel. Uh, you know, it's amazing how easily and how subtly other interests and causes and teachings sort of work their way in and, and begin to pull at us and, and pull us away from the one true gospel. And I think this has happened in every period of history. Of course, it happened in a, in a big way during the time of the, the Reformation. Uh, the, the 1500s, finally, uh, that recognition that, that Luther had that uh, we need to come back. And the thing that we needed to come back as a church to was centered upon what we're going to be looking at this morning, which is right at the heart of the gospel. You know, I, I find it interesting when we had the opportunity to travel somewhere. A few weeks ago, we went to Washington, D.C., and when we do that and we're away on Sunday, then we, we have the opportunity to go to a church in that area. And so beforehand, it usually falls to me, and I'm, I'm looking at uh, online at the availability of churches uh, that are around to find one for, for Sunday worship. Um, and as I do, I kind of do a, a survey of you know, where are these churches, and especially, I, you know, I look in the area of Reformed churches, and if there's a PCA church, you know, I'll look for that. But where are these churches in terms of the main thing? Are they keeping the main thing the main thing? That was a business phrase that was used sometimes, but it's really important for us to ask that question. And I'll say what I often find, even though it may be difficult to tell online completely, but sometimes you, you come quite clearly that you see often the gospel is not central. That even churches that you know must have at one time been a faithful church that they have faded away because they have made something else central. And that serves for us. Now think about how easily we are drawn away or attracted by something else. That that's uh, what is happening here in the book of Galatians. In fact, uh, right there near the beginning, verse six, Paul calls it another gospel that these people uh, in the churches in Galatia have been attracted to. And he knows that, uh, sort of like when adultery works its way into a marriage, that it's not long until it destroys that marriage. And the same is true with the church. And so Paul is earnest in his warning and call for them to return to 
see what we get in these first two chapters. And especially in his call, you need to recognize that the gospel that I first gave to you when I came to you, that this is the true gospel. And all the way through those first two chapters, that's, that's his point. He's, he's an apologist for the gospel. Uh, and uh, he, he's telling them, come back. And, you know, this is something, that, as we said up to this point, that we need. We need to check ourselves. Am I, and it's not just for us as individuals, although it is, but for our families, for our family, is our family and for our church, is it is providence? Are we running well? Or are we allowing ourselves to be drawn off course? Is there something else that is becoming the main thing? All the way through, Paul is giving us this cornerstone for his argument. Uh, we see it there in verse 11 that the gospel preached by me is not man's gospel. Not man's gospel. So that when he talks about having gone to Jerusalem twice, he's going through the narrative of, of his experiences. When he's gone to Jerusalem twice, he met with the leaders of the churches, with James and with uh, the Apostle Peter and with the Apostle John. Uh, he makes it clear this man had no influence over me. In other words, the God wasn't compromised. Uh, it's from God. It's not from man. The only thing that he really wanted, talked about a couple of weeks ago from these men, was to, to, to come together and to show that they were all unified on this one message, the one gospel. You get get the get the uh, message here that is really important. We saw a couple of weeks ago that Paul's efforts were rewarded. Down in uh, verse nine that. They gave to him the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and he, that, that they, Paul, should go to the Gentiles and the others to uh, the Jews, to the circumcised. Uh, and so the, the message there was that we are moving forward together. There is one gospel going to both people and ultimately to one people uh, together. Uh, and so this morning, as we look at this passage, beginning in verse 11, Paul's demonstrating one more time how they can know that his is the true gospel. And he, he demonstrates this in a very interesting way. So I invite you to look at verse 11, and I'll finish verse 17. This is God's Word. But when Peter came to Antioch, opposed him in his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, with Gentiles, when they came, he drew back and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. I said to Cephas, to Peter, before them all, if you, though you, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? For we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, 
through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. I invite you to join me in prayer. As we read these words this morning, we thank you that we can see and can know that this precious uh, ability that we have to be together with you, to be saved, is not dependent upon us, but upon you. I pray that, Lord, that that would bring us comfort. Uh, as we go through this. And I pray, Lord, that You would help us to, to take this, to see it, to understand it, to apply it uh, to our own hearts. Uh, and therefore, to be able to live differently, to live as those who know our God truly. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Do you remember hearing about that incident that happened a, a few weeks ago uh, when an actor, Will Smith, ran up on the stage at the Oscars and he slapped another man. Uh, it was Chris Rock, who was a comedian. I didn't know about uh, him before that point, but, but that created quite a stir. It was in, in the news uh, media constantly for a week or so, uh, all different angles of it. You ask, why would something like that create such a stir? Well, I think any time there are two big names that are well-known and there's a conflict there, there's a, a, a fight that takes place, people become interested. Well, what about when it takes place within the church? What about when it takes place over a, a, a meal uh, between two household names within the church in a very public way. Well, that's what we see in this passage. You know, I think it's something that were there tabloids in that day, it would have been all over the tabloids. Uh, Paul says right there at the beginning of the passage, but when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. I, I rebuked him publicly. And you know, I think this is all the more shocking because you think about uh, Paul at this point, and he was, he was a relative newcomer. Uh, now, he was getting to be better known, uh, but he was still the, kind of the new guy on the block. Uh, he was, uh, as we saw in the, the prior passage, he was a, a, a newcomer. You know, back when I was in the Navy and I was a what was called a J.O. I was a junior officer. Uh, I was smart enough to know. I hadn't been in the Navy for very long. I was smart enough to know that I shouldn't walk up to a Master Chief, uh, even though I might have outranked Master Chief, but someone who had been in the Navy for 20 years and, and was experienced and was looked up to and, and, and was, was known and had the know, was in the know, uh, walked up to him and, and publicly uh, rebuked him for any wrongdoing, no matter what I saw. And so, with what Paul did, we might want to ask, why would Paul do this? What was grievous enough in Peter's behavior to warrant this kind of a rebuke uh, in public? Well, Paul says it was because Peter stood 
condemned. The NIV says, because Peter was clearly in the wrong. To open this up, let me take you back to a, a time when I was, I was a child, maybe fourth or fifth grade. Uh, and this was a, 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 you might call it a dark time in my life. I, th- I think I've shared this with you before. There was a, a kid in my neighborhood by the name of Robert uh, who he, he and I would ride bikes around together. We'd kind of do boy kinds of things together. We were buddies. We, we hung out together. But I knew that Robert's home life was, was difficult, and it showed it in different ways. He, he didn't bathe real often. He lacked some of the, the things that others had. He, he spoke with a, a bit of a, a lisp. He didn't come across as being all that smart. Uh, and you know what that can mean in a public school setting. Well, there was that, that one day when... I was walking home with a couple of other kids, and I remember them well, with Eddie and Jeff. Uh, And they were part of kind of the in crowd there at the school. Uh, And we came upon Robert, and Robert would have been walking home, walking to the same neighborhood as me, about a mile and a half or so, and so it would have been right for me to get with him and, and walk together. But I didn't do that. Instead, I held back and I separated myself with these other two that were there. And then there began some taunting. And I I remember, I was torn at this moment. But I remained with those other two. And what followed wasn't pretty, and I'm not going to go into the details, uh, but it wasn't pretty, not so much because of the other two, because that's what they did. That's what they knew at this point. But it wasn't pretty because of me, because of my hypocrisy. Uh, because I knew Robert, and I hung out with him. We were, we were buddies. Uh, yet I turned my back on him. Why? Because I feared these other two. And I, I think you all know what I needed at that point. I needed to be rebuked. Well, in this passage that we just read, Peter needed to be rebuked. You know, Peter, it says, ate together with the Gentiles. He, he, uh, he was there at, uh, at Antioch eating with the Gentiles. And, and with his position, what he was saying was, you know, I, I accept these men. Uh, and yet, Peter shunned the Gentiles when it says these other men came from James. All it took was these other men showing up uh, from Jerusalem, and all of a sudden, the Gentiles were of a lower class. And so it's true that we can say that Peter was clearly in the wrong, just as I was all those years ago with what I did. I was a hypocrite. And Paul is pointing out here that Peter was a hypocrite. And notice also, that that's exactly what the world today would say, isn't it? They'd look at that and say, that's ugly. That's being hypocritical. But then I want you to notice there's something far deeper that's going on here, which makes the stakes here much higher than you might imagine. If you look down at verse 14, Paul says that 
that Peter and those who were together with him, and, and what happened with, you know, with what Peter did, there, there were those, including Barnabas and others who, who followed him. He was a leader. Uh, but what, what Peter and this crowd were doing was they were behaving in a way, it says in verse 14, that was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Now, Paul didn't rebuke Peter just because he shunned the Gentiles, as bad as that may seem. But it's actually the gospel that is at stake here. Let's think for a moment about what Peter's actions said when he ate together with the Gentiles. Normally, if Jews eat together with Gentiles uh, in this day, they would become unclean. And therefore, they, they didn't do it because the Gentiles themselves were seen as Gentile sinners. Paul will make that uh, statement later. Gentile sinners. And, and the Jews, they had to eat according to the Old Testament food laws. Uh, and they couldn't do that with the Gentiles. Uh, but this was one way that they demonstrated they belonged to God, along with circumcision and, and following uh, the, the Jewish festivals like the Passover. Uh, and so when Peter, this important leader within the church, ate with these men without worrying about becoming unclean, what was he saying? He was actually proclaiming something much louder than we would hear it. He was saying, you're brothers. You're brothers together in Christ, and therefore you're clean. And therefore I can, I can spend time with you, and in this intimate setting I'm able to eat with you. And you know, that was in keeping with what we saw a couple of weeks ago uh, in what the, the leaders had affirmed with Paul during his last trip to, to Jerusalem, that Gentiles didn't need uh, to follow the, the Jewish customs in order to be saved or to be regarded as Christian. They needed one thing. They needed faith. But then there was this group that came from James. Uh, not that they were completely in line with, with James and his mind and heart, but they came from him in Jerusalem, and they were called the circumcision party. Why? Because they believed that salvation is always tied with obedience to these things, to circumcision, to food laws, uh, to, to obeying the Jewish festivals. Uh, let me stop here and say that, well, th this, is the re this is the requirement that was being levied upon the Gentiles. This is the statement that Peter was making as he pulled away from the Gentiles. Without words, uh, he was saying, you're unclean. You believed in Christ, but that's not enough. You've got to do this and this and this in order to be received, to be accepted by God and by God's people. And let me just say here that this is the type of requirement that we can unwittingly place upon others today, including upon ourselves. Uh, and unwittingly, because certainly Peter was doing this unwittingly. Uh, now for us, it's not to become like a Jew, but there are other requirements that, that we can place there that will be seen and heard as this is a requirement in addition to faith. But Paul knew 
what that really is, what it's called. That's called self-salvation. So a person would not only have to obey those specific items, but it would open the floodgates, and they'd have to obey all of God's law, and that's a weight that these people could never bear. And so you can see there why Paul got into Peter's face. Peter was in the wrong. But it wasn't just a matter of uh, dissing the others because they weren't part of a, a certain group. This was a matter of gospel salvation. And the only way to bring a remedy to it was to be brought back to the sweet doctrine of justification by faith alone. And so Paul's rebuke of Peter should serve as a wake-up to us to recognize the importance of that remedy. And this is, this is exactly what the Galatians needed to hear, and this is exactly what we need to hear today, that it is the true gospel. Justification by faith alone. That's what the Galatians had departed from. That's what, if you look back in, at the time of the Reformation, the 16th century, that's what the church had departed from. And it's what we today are always prone to depart from. Now, Paul states it very succinctly here in the first part of verse 16. He says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, by something in addition, works, things that we must do, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And he goes on to really repeat that statement. And so what we must do, what we've got to do is make certain that we are not led astray and that we don't lead others astray uh, to this error of adding to our salvation. By looking, first of all, at the Apostle Peter in this account, we need to recognize how easy it is to be led astray in this way without knowing it, without recognizing how susceptible we are to it. Now consider for a moment who we're talking about here. This is the, the Apostle Peter. Uh, this is the man who, you might say, attended the finest seminary of all time. He was a part of Jesus' inner circle. Uh, and for three years during Jesus' ministry, he was with him. And although we know that Paul, Peter fell into sin, we also know that he was restored gloriously. If you read John chapter 21... Uh, he was restored to his position as an apostle. And then the Acts of the Apostles, uh, Acts chapter 2, it was, it was Peter who was given the task to, to preach that sermon uh, when the Holy Spirit came upon the people. And then afterwards, it was Peter who preached with power to uh, the people. Uh, and then it was Peter himself in Acts chapter 10 that the Lord revealed, uh, to, to whom the Lord revealed, that the Gentiles were brothers and sisters together in God's church. No difference from the Jews. In fact, uh, what the Lord said to him was, what God has made clean, speaking of the Gentiles, do not call common. And so Peter knew that these Gentiles had received the Holy Spirit without doing anything apart from believing. So the point here is that Peter, of all people, should have known what he was doing. 
He should have known the message that he was actually sending when he shunned the Gentiles. But Peter, even though he was a pillar in the church, he was capable of sin. And so out of cowardice, he caved to peer pressure. And Paul, as a result, publicly called out Peter's hypocrisy. Uh, and here, here's the way he did it. Uh, look with me at verse 14, right there at the end. He said of uh, Peter, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, he's talking about you ate with the Gentiles, uh, you were together with them, you accepted them, you received them, and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? In other words, how can you tell them on the basis of your actions that their acceptance, that their justification is not only on the basis of faith, but on the basis of things that they can do and of things that they must do in order to be received, accepted, and saved. Paul here is going to call those things works of the law. And I'm going to make the point here, when we talk about Peter, that he didn't realize that he didn't recognize the gospel implications. That's why... Paul called him out on it. You know, Peter knew that he was shunning the Gentiles. And therefore, he knew that he was in the wrong, but he didn't recognize what he was really doing. That he was raising the bar on what God required. This is what God requires. It's faith. And faith alone. It's trusting in Him. That's what he says. Believe in me. That's, that's it. There's nothing else that's needed. There's nothing else that you can do. But Peter was opening up the floodgates and saying that plus all these other things. You'll only be accepted if you do these things. Now, Peter believed that, that justification was by faith alone. Peter believed that the Gentiles were not lower class citizens, that they were together uh, in the gospel. But the fear of man blinded him. And that's what we've got to look out for ourselves. And so, so how do we make sure that we don't fall prey to this? That we don't live our lives in such a way that we undermine the gospel? You know, I can tell you that, that myself, uh, this is not just something that I'm concerned about for other people. Uh, that there are times when I recognize that I'm forgetting that I've been received and I've been accepted by faith alone, by nothing that came from me. I've been received by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and following Him alone, yet I begin to perform for others and look for their acceptance, look to be received by them. And you know how I can often tell that I'm doing that? I begin to feel upon me the pressure. It begins to creep in. It begins to say, you're not doing enough. It's not good enough. Uh, you're not worthy enough. Maybe you've heard that same voice. Maybe you've known that, that sense inside and it's a struggle and so how do we make sure that we're not being led astray, that, that we're not 
standing upon something that's not the true gospel? Well, the answer is twofold. Now, the first question is for each one of us. Have you trusted in Christ? Have you begun that journey? If the answer is no, then you need to realize that you can't move forward, that you can't stand upon the gospel. Because each one of us need to, to realize that we, we are sinners, that we're sold over to sin, and that we need to have that sin removed. And we need to receive forgiveness. And we need to receive a new heart. You know, there's, a, there's a verse in Ezekiel. You write this, this down if you don't know it. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 36 that uh, speaks directly to this, uh, beginning in, in verse 25 and and here, God, through Ezekiel, is speaking about when Christ will come. He's speaking about the new covenant. And he says at that time, I will, I will make you clean. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. He's speaking spiritually here. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And then he says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Listen all the way through. What do you hear? I will. I will. This is not a, a work that he's saying must come from you. He's saying, this is what I will do, what I will give you. And then verse 27, he says, and I will put my spirit within you. And listen to these words. And cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now, there, there is an obedience there, but look at the order in which it comes. First, there's the work that God will do inside of you. And then, after that, what does he say? I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That obedience must follow that joining together with Christ, that, that coming to Christ, looking to Christ, that step of faith. That's the order. And let me give you one more verse. This is a verse that should be familiar to all of us, probably the most well-known in the Bible. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. All the way through, what's the one requirement that's given? You must believe. You must trust. You must look to. You must follow. All those are the same. Yet, many people say, I, I know about that. I, I know I've, I've got to believe, but what do I do? I've had that happen many times. Maybe people have said that to you. Maybe you've wondered that yourself. But what do I do? I've got to do something. You know how Jesus answered that question? He did it just before John 3.16. Uh, in the same passage, what he did, he was talking to Nicodemus and he, he pointed him back to the Old Testament. And there's a place in Numbers 21 where the people had sinned against God. They had grumbled and they had turned against the Lord. And so he sent amongst them serpents. And the serpents began to bite the people. And many people were, were dying uh, because of these serpents. And the, so the people cried out to Moses. Then they said, Speak to the Lord for us. Tell Him that we know we have sinned against Him. And ask Him, What can we do to 
not be bidden to be saved from these serpents. And here's what, what the Lord told Moses. He said, take a serpent, a bronze serpent, and put it upon your staff and hold that staff high up in the air. And when the people are bitten by a serpent, what they are to do is to look at that serpent on the staff and they will not die. They will be saved. And you know, that's what Jesus turned to in order to explain belief. He said this, he said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. What was he saying? He said, just like the people in the wilderness, the one thing that you must do is look to Christ. You've got to look to Christ every moment, every day. Look to Christ. Trust in Him. But there's nothing else that you must do. There's nothing else that you can do. You trust in Christ. And I will do the rest. You know, the, the, the truth there is that we're completely unable to save ourselves. It's only by trusting in the shed blood of Jesus Christ that we will be saved. He's done it all. You know, what did, what did Paul say? say uh, we know, this is verse 16, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And so that's the first answer. But the second answer uh, to how do we make sure that we're not led astray and that we're standing upon the right gospel. The second answer is, if you've already trusted in Christ and you know that for certain, are you keeping your eyes upon Him? And we do that by, by the gifts that God has given, by the means of grace. Now, notice again that you can't get this order mixed up. Because if you haven't already trusted in Christ, this itself becomes a, a form of self-salvation. So you've got to make sure that you get the order right here. But first and foremost, amongst those means of grace is the Spirit-empowered Word of God. In a very real sense, that's what Paul gave to Peter. He rebuked him. He, he gave him God's Word. He said, you're going in the wrong direction. You've got to come back. Here's the, 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 the true gospel. And so he reproved him, he corrected him, set him back on the right track. Let me give you, as we talk about this means of grace, God's Word, let me give you another 3.16. Uh, it's going to come out of, this time, 2 Timothy 3.16. Again, a very familiar verse. Paul tells Timothy that the scriptures, he says, are able to make you wise for salvation through, Christ, through, through faith in Christ Jesus. Faith must come first. And then he says... Also, is breathed out for God by, by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God, that the woman of God, may be complete, equipped for every work. You need God's word. I need God's word. Daily, if we don't have it, we leave ourselves susceptible. We need to be together and studying God's Word. We need to be sitting under the preaching of it during the week, hearing from God's Word. We have so many voices in the world. 
that are that are hammering at us. Are we setting this central in our lives? If we're not, we're susceptible to being drawn astray. We need prayer. God has given us prayer that we might commune with Him, that we might have our minds and our hearts set right and spend time together with Him and together with, with others uh, focused upon His His will. You also need fellowship with people, together with the people. So that's what Peter was asking initially those who were uh, in uh, Antioch with the Gentiles. You also need the sacraments, which we get to partake of in just a, in just a few moments. And so, uh, the Lord's table as we gather together, you can think of it as being similar in some ways to what Peter was doing as he ate together with the Gentiles before he stumbled into hypocrisy. Notice that he was able to eat in a way that the barriers that were there before that held them apart were broken down. They were removed. And that's the result of that justification by faith alone. It should serve to remove all barriers in our fellowship. We all come together on the same basis. There's a great unity because we and everything else is away. And we hear about what He has done to ourselves and we come with eyes of faith. And you know, there's one table in this world in which we're able to come together in that way and be one people all united together, all in communion with God. You know, something that we're going to, to read later in Galatians chapter 3, or these words out of verse 28. There is, and this is the result of justification of faith alone, there is neither Jew nor Greek nor free. That's the type of unity that we're able to have when we are coming to the Lord Jesus by faith alone. All other barriers broken down. And so again, God gives us this gift of the means of grace to allow us to see and to know Him and to remain on the right track so that something else doesn't become substituted for the gospel of grace. Paul said, this is worth standing up and fighting for and rebuking Peter for. You know, for us in the same way, we need to make sure that we remain solidly locked upon that, upon the right gospel. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for the gifts that you give us. We thank you that uh, you haven't left us in a state, uh, Lord, in which we can wander in the other direction uh, and not be brought back. Uh, we thank you for the example that we have here with Peter and, and with Paul. And we thank you, Lord, that 
That is the orientation of your word that it brings us back uh, and of the other means that you've given us. We thank you and we praise you and we pray that therefore we would remain centered upon this gospel, never letting it go and always wary in our minds and our hearts that we are susceptible to falling away. And we pray that you, in your goodness and in your grace, would keep us. We thank you for the promises that we have in your word that you will. We pray this in Christ's name.